Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. You are now listening to the Half a Bird Sports Show. Yo, welcome to the Half a Bird Sports Show. You have so many options for high flying entertainment. It's chosen ride with us, and we appreciate that. Your host, Jimmy, along with myself, Jay, bringing you the sports opinions you need to adopt immediately. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are downloaded and listened to. So, hey, Jimmy, what's on today's school lunch menu? Black Monday is here like always, and it's time for the ends of Garrett's coaching days. Pat Shermer left the Giants in a purple haze. Tom Brady and the Pats have road rage. Is it time for the Buccaneers to turn the page? Is LeBron about to venture into old age? Can the 49ers win like the old days, like LSU did the Sooners last Saturday? What a Saturday. <laughs> almost messed that up, by the way. <laughs> did you hear it? I think it was the third bar. What's the one take hope? Oh, thank you guys for joining us. As usual, on the Half a Burst Sports Show, myself and Jimmy. What's up? Doing what we do best, talking out the sides of our neck. Check us out on WMQGRadio.com and find us wherever podcasts are downloaded and listened to. Please rate us and review us. Give us five stars. If you don't think we deserve five stars, give us five anyway. Gifted. Jimmy. Woo. Jay. Buddy. I must say this is the fifth day in a row that I've seen your face. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually which explains quite my gross. agitation waking up this I, morning. I, I, I felt the same way. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm trying to figure out who I need to punch in the face, <laughs> and I realized why. I got to see you again. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> first off, I want to apologize to all the loyal listeners out there. You expected a nice rebuttal to Jimmy's uh, villain segment and his solo show for me last week, and as I explained on our last uh, Monday night Tuesday show, Tuesday lunch show, uh, I was gifted. Tickets, flight, hotel to the uh, Peach Bowl. Uh-huh. Jimmy joined me, yes. um, as usual, as he's the luckiest friend in the world. Um, as he uh, he gets it pretty darn good, if you really think about it. I, I do have it pretty good, yes. <laughs> uh, But no, uh, outside of that, I, I was prepping and everything for the show and came to realize that I hadn't packed yet. Had nothing ready to go, and I had a flight at 5 in the and morning. you off like all week long? No, actually, I worked all week long. So, therefore, you were off all week long since so, you don't have a job. Actually, you don't work. no, let's think about it, Jimmy. We know you don't have a job. I'm very You're Tommy. Much, I'm very much of a, I have an uh, office. We all know. Yeah, exactly. With a bone in it. A bridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, since I didn't prep and stuff for the actual trip like I normally do, I wasn't ready to do the show. So packed up everything, everything ready, got about two hours of sleep, and we landed in the A about what, noon? Yes. Yeah, it was about noon Eastern yeah. time, so about 11 take, time yeah. Central. So we had a layover. So we had a little bit of a layover. Uh, we were, of course, quite uh, borderline exhausted. I was like, man, we could really record this show right now. But sure enough, I didn't pack the materials. <laughs> yeah. So I just wasn't prepared. That's literally all it was. I just was not prepared just because I was not only excited about going to Atlanta to yet another bowl game, uh-huh. as this will be the second one I've been able to attend, and I love the atmosphere every time. But we actually get to, got there to actually spend time and enjoy the full atmosphere. So thank you. Um, 
you know who for that. And uh, thank you, Jimmy, for joining. It was uh, it was a good time, you know. Yes. You know, yes. we were really old. We really didn't do anything. Which no, showed. not really. Yeah, no. we we were pretty old. Exactly. Got to got to figure out a way to break that habit one of these days on a on a bowl game trip. But you know, well, it true. doesn't matter. Well, Vegas will fix that in a few. Oh, that's few true. Months. That's true. Vegas yeah. always does fix that. We yeah. don't ever sleep in Vegas. So anyway. We decided that we wanted to go check out a uh, Hawks game since we were there. Got there Friday. Uh-huh. Made sense to go. Giannis and the Bucks were in town. Yep, number one team in the East, right? Right, right. Super excited. So we go in and we got to talk to you guys about that experience. That's how we're going to lead this off. Woo, buddy. Um, I um, I felt unwelcomed to Atlanta um, as I realized why Atlanta sports struggle with fans. I've come to I've, I've come to realization, Jimmy. I recognize it. Mm-hmm. God, the experience at the Hawks game was terrible. <laughs> it was. It was bad. And I'm gonna break it down in three things that really made it terrible. And Jimmy, you tell me, am I off base? Mm-hmm. First off, there was no energy there whatsoever. I didn't even realize they actually had fans. I just thought there were just people there because they were bored, and the weather was okay. No, that's what it was. It was people there because they were bored. Yeah, that's what it felt like. And they were so bored that they were even bored at the game. Like they didn't even participate. Ate some food in the city that is probably one of the blackest cities in America. Like, like, like population of African-Americans. Atlanta is known for being the, the mecca of black people. Like, if you don't know, you should know. That's what Atlanta is. And I swear to God, they put no seasoning on this food. I had some chicken strips with some fries. Jimmy tried one, looked at me and said, what the hell is this? I said, I know. I thought I was going to be eating some nice southern cooked food. No, no. No, no seasoning whatsoever. Then it all wrapped itself up with the way the whole weekend went anyway. Trey Young gets hurt. Injuries. Injuries. We get there to watch Trey do his thing, and Trey literally hurts his ankle within like the first 15 minutes of the day. And so, I don't know. I don't know. Am I off base? Did I no, miss you're, anything? You're not, off base. you're not off base at all. Um. You know, first thing, you know how they say in business, you're supposed to do like the compliment sandwich. You start out with something positive and then you start with all the negative stuff, all the criticism and you end with something positive. Right. So I'm going to start with something positive. Uh, State Farm Arena, that is one of the, I haven't been in all the arenas, obviously, but that's one of the best arenas I've been in. And they recently updated it. It used yes. to be the Phillips Arena, mm-hmm. changed to the State Farm Arena. And um, just in terms of just the look of the of the arena, in terms of the scoreboard, the aesthetics, the, yeah, the yeah. restaurants and clubs that they had in there. It's a really, really nice venue, and I would expect nothing less from it being, you know, from a venue being in Atlanta. Right. But that's probably about where the compliments are going to begin and end because I echoed the exact same thing. There was no fan energy. And being a fan of Oklahoma City and going to a lot of Thunder games, there's energy from beginning to end. I mean, depending upon how the game is going, that kind of plays a part. But there was no energy whatsoever when anything positive happened in this game. And part of the reason why I'm going to let the fans off the hook just a little bit is because so little positive happened in this (laughs) game. Because this Atlanta Hawks basketball team, which, if I'm correct, still have the worst record in the East, is one of the worst basketball teams I have I've ever seen is not that they miss shots it's how they miss shots it's like the shot always ends up on the wrong side of the rim nobody can get into the lane nobody can put up uh I guess a quality shot in the terms of being within the flow of the offense because there doesn't even really seem to be an offense at all they were terrible this is mostly without Trey Young I understand that but this brand of basketball and I know we have a lot of fan, you know a lot of listeners in Atlanta because of WMQG radio but this basketball team 
they can't be allowed to take the floor anymore. They're that bad. Yeah, no, no, they're that bad. And, and, and that's the funny thing is, is when is Trey Young actually played through the first quarter and they were down twenty. So, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> and we factored that into. I was thinking about this too. Okay, they lose the game one twenty one twelve to eighty six. Um, so that is a twenty six point loss. But I would say what it really is, what it really would have been, was probably about a forty six to fifty six point loss because you throw in the reigning MVP Giannis, his thirty points, twelve rebounds, etc. It would have been even worse. So even without one of the best players in basketball, they still get boat raced. And you know how in, a, in NBA fans, NBA teams, I'm sorry, they do each other favors in the sense of they kind of ease up off the gas yeah. towards the end. This was really like it truly was a really a forty forty five point loss for the majority of the game. Yo, yeah, they were down about 30 a few times throughout the game, and it felt like they didn't know what they were doing. But you can tell how young they were, and I'll give them that much. But then then, it, then it went all – just overall as an organization, the way they do things. You know, I worked in in sports for a while, and I understand, like, a lot of the back-end stuff, especially when it comes to entertainment and stuff. Their halftime show for a game that involved Giannis Antetokounmpo in town with the Milwaukee Bucks, the number one team in the East, their halftime activity was a skills challenge between fans. Which is something you do between timeouts. Yes, you do that between – that's a timeout activity, especially when you have a high-profile visitor like Giannis. Play or not, he was in town. He was on the sideline. Fans were wearing his jersey. He gave some high fives, signed a couple things, etc. You prepare yourself with a really good show because you have a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. The goal is to suck people back in and bring them into the games. I felt like the Atlanta Hawks front office staff knew that fans weren't coming to their games anyway. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And see, and this goes back to the chicken tender example where there was absolutely no seasoning. Like, I'm the worst cook in the world, but even I can season chicken tenders better than that. There you go. And between that and the halftime He's a bad lack of entertainment, yeah. It, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect sort of microcosm to describe this organization. Everything is bland. They do just enough to show you that they don't care. Yes. The basketball on the court, bland. They don't, don't care. care. The chicken tenders that we pay 15 to 20 bucks for, they don't care. Halftime entertainment, they, they don't, don't care. care. <laughs> Timeout entertainment, yeah. they don't so care. So at every level of this organization, they show you just enough to show you that they don't care. That's a problem. That's why they don't attract free agents, and that's why they don't hardly ever win basketball games. <clears throat> yes, exactly it. And then, of course, Trey DeBarge gets hurt within the first <laughs> 15 minutes of the game. So it was depressing. I mean, the, the biggest thing I wanted to go see was check out local Oklahoma product. Trey Young, mm-hmm. get his hoop on. I saw him in college when he played against Baylor, and he just looked amazing on the court. Out there on that one, he was doing all kinds of fancy stuff. He was twirling a ball. He, he was he was he was had it on the string. He was phenomenal. Then he got his patented injury that we expect to see. And that was, basically, um, that was basically the, the beginning of what was going to happen for the entire weekend for us anyway. So uh, one thing we do discuss here on the Half a Bird Sports Show in excitement is the news. And now Jimmy has the news. Thank you, Wendy. Okay, Jay Buccaneers fan. Your team ends the season uh, with a – they win that game against the Falcons or not? Oh, they took that L. They, okay. You know why, how they took the L? Uh, Jameis throws a pick six in overtime. Yes. That was just a guess. All right. <laughs> so, so Bruce Arias, the coach of the Buccaneers, says that today in a press conference that the Buccaneers can win with a quarterback other than Jameis Winston, which is sort of a veiled way of saying we need to move on from this guy. Yes, he's spectacular, but he also hurts us. So what is the percentage chance that this team actually moves on from Jameis Winston? Um, I'm going to give it a 25% chance. So the reason why I say that is it's, it's tough to recognize where they're going to get a quarterback. I know they want to draft one. If they want to draft one, they may as well keep Winston. 
have this person in the wing and then push him out there on the field. You don't want to throw a rookie out there and think that you're going to be successful, especially as good as their defense is and their wide receiver sets. The problem they have right now is they need running backs, and I go focus on that today. Yeah, you know, it's pretty depressing, too, when you think about it. He throws 30 interceptions this season, right? And if you cut those interceptions in half to 15, that's probably another two to three wins, which is probably just enough to get you in the playoffs. Yep. So this team is actually much better than James Winston makes them look the record because he throws them out of so many games. All right, up next, uh, Ohio State Buckeyes, former Buckeye J.K. Dobbins, uh, they're all world running back, has declared for the NFL draft. This on the heels of the teams, I believe the 28th to 23th, Yep. In the CS Bowl semifinal. Um, what round do you think J.K. Dobbins is going to get drafted in? First rounder, and he's headed to guess what? Tampa Bay. <laughs> yep. Tampa's probably going to hope Tampa drop, drafts him. But, no, he's mm-hmm. definitely going first round. Him and uh, Jonathan Taylor are definitely up there. And he's going to be joined with another uh, semifinalist who just declared for the draft as well. Okay. So, then you see him basically going no further than the middle of the draft. Oh, yeah. He's put 79 Buccaneers. They're going to be in the middle, low teams maybe. Correct. Okay. If he makes it to us. All right. Up next. Uh, LeBron James was named the AP Top Male Athlete of the Decade. A few days after Serena Williams was named the Female AP Athlete of the Decade as well. Um, with LeBron, let's say he wasn't chosen for this award, who would you say would be the next best person as the AP Male Athlete of the Decade? Behind LeBron? Yes. It'd probably be Tom Brady. I agree. And Steph Curry. Okay. There's your three. I didn't think about Steph Curry. That's an interesting pick. I mean, he was unanimous MVP. Yes. The first one ever. He won back-to-back MVPs, and he went to five uh, uh, five NBA finals straight. He deserves to be in the conversation. And he set a whole bunch of records from three, which is something that no one's ever going to break. Besides yeah, himself. He changed his sport. I think it was uh, Tiger Woods, maybe not the last decade, but the one before that, uh, won the award. He changed yep. just like Steph Curry changed basketball. Uh, up next, Christian McCaffrey, star running back for the Panthers, uh, completed the season of rushing for over 1,000 yards and receiving over 1,000 yards. One of the third back to do that. Um, which running back currently in the NFL do you think is the next one to accomplish this feat? Run, do what Run CMC did? Yeah, run Nobody. Nobody. Nobody in the NFL right now will ever do that for a while. Okay, let me give you some names. Saquon Barkley. Nope. He, he won't do it. What about Miles Sanders from Philadelphia? Nope. He won't do it. Uh, he's the closest. Yep. I will say Alvin Kamara would be the closest, but he doesn't catch enough passes. He's yeah. at Michael Thompson eating away from him. Christian McCaffrey was the offense, and I promise you if Cam Newton was healthy, they would have won the South. I don't know. If I, knew, I knew that Cam wasn't going to be healthy this year. That's why I didn't pick him. Right, but, we, yeah. We got time for one more? One more. Okay, uh, let me ask you this question. Who is the losingest quarterback over the last six seasons? Losingest? Yes. Oh, snap. I have uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Derek Carr. Yes! 55 losses in the last uh, six years, which is uh, the second worst for a six-year span, trailing only his brother. David? <laughs> oh, David that's so depressing. Yeah, I don't know what his number was, but it's probably 70, just like the amount of sacks he took in his rookie season. Um, what are the chances that Derek Carr is starting quarterback for the Los, Angeles, for the Las Vegas Raiders uh, week one of next season? He will be. That, that, uh, Gruden's not going to get rid of him unless he decides to go to the Peter Man. And then if he does that, he's going to get fired. <laughs> Period. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, I would agree. I think that they give him one more season, then after that they move on. That's true. That it? Is it? Move. And that was Jimmy with the news. Thank you, Bob. Yep. And uh, so. Didn't end there. No, it didn't end there. And like I said, uh, basically, Trader Barge opened up the weekend for us with negativity as we, the purpose of going was to go to the Peach Bowl. So we went, got to check out the Fan Fest festivities. It was awesome. I mean, it's a great place to even take kids. It looked good. We saw some fans in like full 
two piece suits that were that were like branded as their teams. It was hilarious. I got a lot of pictures because it just it was fun. We had pimp suits, we had canes, <laughs> we had people from New Orleans. You had beads, you had uh, masquerade balls, you uh, ball uh, mask, and all kinds of crazy stuff. So it was an awesome time mm-hmm. around that. Then the game started. <laughs> Then we went into the stadium. Then we actually went into the stadium. And it looked great. It was, I mean, the energy was there and all of that. And then I look back on everything. I initially, when we talked about it, I said that LSU was going to win the game. That was both me and Jimmy's predictions. Um, but I did feel like OU would have a chance if they do a few things. They didn't do any of those things. No. And then I fi- figured out why they didn't do any of those things. They literally have no players on their team. So they were depleted, and they got destroyed by a machine by the name of LSU. Jimmy, what was your first take from this obliteration of the Sooners? Well, that they're going to have to start scheduling some SEC teams uh, in their non-conference schedule. I'm not so much talking about the Alabamas and the Auburns of the world because there's a reason those teams avoid each other in their non-conference schedule. In the SEC, they kind of don't have a choice. But other schools, you know, they know that you take one or two losses for the SEC. Yes, your team is better by the experience, but you've already played yourself out of a national championship possibility. So they they have to – if they're not going to get bigger and stronger, they're going to have to find a way to – to learn early in the season what it's like to play against teams like that because OU is very much a finesse team. High-powered offense, there's a lot, a lot going on, a lot of motion. Jalen Hurts, C.D. Lamb, they have all of that. But the problem is when a finesse team meets a prize-fighting team, meets a bigger team, meets a corn-fed team, they are very rarely able to handle that for four quarters. And usually they get punched in the mouth very early in the game, which is exactly what happened to this OU team. So if they're not going to get bigger and stronger on both sides of the ball, then they're going to have to find a way to schedule maybe a Missouri, schedule a Florida, schedule a Kentucky, someone like that who is somewhat of an approximation of what you're going to end up having to face if you do make it to the college football semifinal, which they seem to every year. So I can only assume they're going to be back next year, maybe the year after that. they got to find a way to play those kind of teams early. So I have to disagree with you on one take that you made mention of is is um, with OU having to play these teams. OU play these teams just about every year. They played Ohio State twice. They beat them once, and they lost once. They showed that they can keep up with a lot of the big boys. They had, ten- they had played Tennessee back-to-back, and they had Tennessee actually playing them 2020. And Tennessee looks like a completely different animal from the first time they played them mm-hmm. three or four years ago. So OU always schedule out the teams they need to schedule. Their issue has been that the ghost of Mike Stoops literally cursed them for the last 10 years. These are the last set of players, really, that Mike Stoops recruited into the school. And Mike Stoops was such a stubborn recruiter. He didn't bring in the type of players that you need in order to beat an SEC team, a Big Ten team, even a Pac-12 team. He brought in people only focused on the Big 12. His focus was only on his conference. When he failed to realize that Mike Stoops and Lincoln Riley had the offense already set to go against that, the conference. The offense is probably one – not probably. It is the best offense in the country you know, over the last five years. Literally, OU is the mm. offense that everyone else is looking up to. The problem that OU's always had has been that their recruiting on defense has been terrible. They're not deep enough. Um, they're not athletic enough. Um, And then we talked about this on our way back. The one thing that OU, I feel like they need to do when it comes to recruiting, they need fast, big guys. They don't need to be athletic. They need fast and big when it comes to their secondary. Their linebacker needs to be athletic. Their linemen need to be big. Mm. That's it. They need more Tommy Harris. I mean, the last time that OU has recruited a top-tier, big defensive lineman was Gerald McCoy, and that was a layup for Mike Stoops. Why? He's from Oklahoma City, Northwest. He's from the southeast side. So, of course, he's going to go to Norman. He's going to go to OU. There's no way you let that layup leave you. 
But outside of that, the only other recruit that they brought in that was a big-time defensive lineman, Tommy Harris. Mm. Who brought him? Brent Venerables. Mm. <laughs> so Stoops <laughs> has never de- actually actually recruited defensive linemen. Once they put those meat and potatoes at that defensive line, mm-hmm. I swear to you, OU will be a completely de- different defensive animal. Okay, so then you do gr- agree with me in the sense of you're pointing out the reason why they don't have the type of guys in the trenches, especially on the defensive line, that they would need to compete against an SEC team right. like LSU is because Mike Stoops didn't recruit those kind of yes, guys. Yes, 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 yes. I'm saying that. Yes, yes I am agreeing yes, with okay, that portion, so that Alex notion. Grinch, so Alex Grinch, who I think overall did a, good, a really good job this year, they retained him, let him get the kind of guys that he needs that he knows he's going to need in order to face teams like LSU, yep. and then they will be better. So, so in a sense, you do, you do agree with me. But here's something else that I found that is on the flip side of also why OU lost, and that is they, it was, they were exposed for not having a counterpunch, a counterpunch that they didn't really need in the Big 12 because their offense was so well coached. Was so, well, so potent, yes. Yeah, because what they figured out early on is that Jalen Hurts is not going to be able to run on this team. He's not going to be able to run over these guys like he did in the Big 12. Okay, so what's my counterpunch is CeeDee Lamb. CeeDee Lamb, who had a typical CeeDee Lamb type game, four catches for over 100 yards, was being guarded by their best cornerback, Derek Stingley, who's a young guy. He's going to be a superstar at some point. But outside of that, you mentioned Cal Katera, the tight end, who's a good tight end, retired before this game. There was no other counterpunch in the receiving core. So once Jalen Hurts was locked up as far as running and once CeeDee Lamb's opportunities were going to be limited because of Derek Stingley, then there was no <clears> other <throat> counterpunch. There was no curveball. Yeah, and that's why I point out that they were depleted and defeated, destroyed. They were destroyed because they were depleted. I mean, look at it. So Kennedy Brooks actually was hurt coming into this game. I mean, there was a 95% chance he was going to play, but he was hurt. They had three suspensions in Trajan Bridges. Um, Ronnie Perkins and then Ramondre Stevenson, who is his backup running back, didn't play. So literally, Kennedy Brooks was the only running back they technically had out there. They lost his wide receiver in Bridges, which I don't think he played that much anyway, so I wasn't too concerned with them. But the big loss was Ronnie Perkins. Literally, the only defensive lineman they had they didn't have anymore. So Ronnie Perkins didn't play. They lost Trey Sermon earlier in the year. Don't really count him because that was early in the year, so they've already adjusted without him. Cal Katira was a Big one. I mean, because OU is known for their tight ends. They didn't have a tight end to replace him yet. None of those guys have developed into it. They lost Jordan Kelly, their defensive lineman. He didn't play. Kenneth Mann didn't play. He was out for the season after the Iowa State game. They lost their linebacker, John Michael Terry, who didn't play too much, but they lost him. Yeah. They lost uh, Turner Yale, their mm-hmm. safety, Take with a broken tackler. collarbone, mm-hmm. their top tackler. So you lose all that, then you have to play Justin Boyles out there instead, who got dusted non-stop Trey Norwood who's their second best corner didn't play because he was out from earlier in the season um and then Bookie gets kicked out of the game for being stupid so mm-hmm. the there's a list of players that really depleted them but you're right without as a true counterpunch Kennedy Brooks couldn't do it by himself Jalen Hurts for some reason even though he ran all over the SEC couldn't figure it out this game and all of the defense who this is the one thing that Grinch made me mad from that game with as far as it goes to all of the defense. He didn't blitz. He literally played zone the entire time and let Joe Burrow just just pick him apart. Mm-hmm. He basically looked like Mike Stoops did last season um, when they played against Alabama. Mm-hmm. He played zone. I'll, I promise you, if they would have put pressure on Joe Burrow just a little bit yeah. and he ate them up the way he still did, they probably wouldn't have been blown out by 40. And, and that's, you know, by playing so much zone, that's you exposing yourself. That's you saying that we can't match up to you man to man. And that's what this was a game about. It was a game about men. Who are the bigger, stronger, faster men? LSU had them. So in order to cover that up, like you said, they went to zone more as opposed to man to man or blitzing. And once I'm sure they read that early on in the game, they already knew 
Okay. Oh, yeah. We, we're just going to roll right over them, and that's exactly what they did. Now, the one thing I don't want to do is take away from what LSU did. LSU just played a much better football game. They are a much better football team, and you can tell – uh, Joe Burrow just didn't have to do as much work. He literally was calm and collective the entire time, and they didn't put no pressure on him. So he showed that he wasn't antsy, and that's the one thing I do like about his pocket presence and his awareness in that game is he was calm. He just sat there. He looked at the defense, knew exactly what they were going to do, and he ate everybody up. Jefferson was – and you funny, you were talking about him before the game started. Was. He was talking hardcore about He said, watch out for Jefferson. He's going to be the guy. Oh, you did gr- a great job on Jamar Chase. He literally had like two plays that he actually did something in. I think he had one catch and one run. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, it was all Jefferson and everybody else. So literally they set it up to where everybody else would eat OU alive mm-hmm. and let Jamar and make Jamar Chase basically a decoy. Similar to what they thought they was gonna do with the running back. What's his name? Um Hilaire, Edward Hilaire. Yeah, Edward Hilaire. I thought they were gonna use him as a decoy. He had one pos- one uh series and he disappeared for the rest of the game. Right. They literally just used Jamar Chase as a decoy and OU fell for it. Mm-hmm. And I blame Glen- uh Grinch for that, but at the same time, I think I understand why Grinch did it, because he recognized the personnel that he has and said, you know what? I'd be stupid to think that I I'd be able to compete with these guys. I probably should play it as safe and as conservative as possible, which was his downfall. He should have blitzed all out and just said, F it. I'm going for it. Mm-hmm. Period. So, right. Aggression. All right. Aggression, right? Aggression. So, we do this every Monday, of course. It's going to be the $7 challenge uh, presented by no sponsor yet. And, Jimmy, we're going to have us some fun. So, let's Oop. make the magic happen. Jimmy's got questions. Which, let me ask you this, though, because you know how, how it comes to... Jay's got answers. Yeah, that was terrible. I, yeah, you did, I you did well. It's the $7 challenge. <laughs> Wish we could do that every time. Every time. All right. Today's $7 challenge is presented by the presenter. Uh, we're, we were at State Farm Arena and Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which was pretty awesome. Um, and we talked about stadiums and stuff, the naming rights and the sizes. So today's $7 challenge is going to be wrapped around... NBA and NFL stadiums, right? Uh, stadiums and arenas, and we're gonna figure out some stuff and seven questions, three options. Let's see if you actually pay attention to what the heck people are playing in. All right. So you ready? I'm ready. All right. First question: Who plays at FedEx Field? Is it Washington, Dallas, or Tennessee? Uh, I think I know this pretty good. Washington. Correct. All right. Who has the largest NFL stadium currently? Is it Lambeau Field, MetLife Stadium, or AT&T Stadium? Lambeau Field, MetLife, AT&T. Ooh, that looks like a – no, it's not Lambeau. See, we got to be MetLife or AT&T. I think that's a trap. I'm going to go MetLife. Correct. What is is that capacity? 82,500. Lambeau's (laughs) 81,000. So they're right behind them. All right. Weird one. Who plays at First Energy Stadium? Is it the Titans, the Browns, or the Ravens? Ooh, you got me there. First Energy Stadium, Titans, Browns, or Ravens? Um, First Energy Stadium, the Browns. Correct. Impressive. Thank you. All right. Uh, Well, we played at, we went to State Farm Arena, which was awesome. Who plays at State Farm Stadium? Is it the Cardinals, the Panthers, or the Bills? State Farm Stadium, Cardinals, Panthers, or Bills? Uh, I think you got it here. Um, so I'm leaning cards because I know it's no longer University of Phoenix Stadium. Panthers, I think they play in Bank of America Stadium, but that's changed. I'm going to go with the Panthers. 
Incorrect. It was cars, wasn't it? It was the Cardinals. Ah. That's where the uh, the uh, Fiesta Bowl was played at. Yes. I'm surprised you didn't think of that because we almost went to Fiesta Bowl. We did. We did. <laughs> All right. Which one of these three is the smallest NFL stadium? Is it Ford Field, Levi Stadium, or State Farm? Which one of these three are the smallest NFL stadium? Ford Field, Levi Stadium, or State Farm Stadium? Levi Stadium. Incorrect. State Farm again. Uh They are the smallest of those three. I think they're like 60,000 or something like that. It's pretty small. Weird. Weird mustache. Well, anyway. Bigger than that. Exactly. So, all right. Let's go a little bit of NBA action. We'll wrap this up. You are at... Three and two right now. They got to get one. Got to get one. You got to get one out of these last two, all right? right. There's two teams in the NBA that plays at American Airlines. Which one of these does not? Is it the Heat, the Magic, or the Mavs? Heat, Magic, Mavs. It's the Magic. Correct. Good memory. American Airlines has been the Mavs for a long time, but I think just recently also the Heat. I was thinking about it. I was like, that's weird. Why do we have two teams with the exact same name in you know, their stadium? That's weird. I'll tell you a story on that in a second. So, uh, last question. We're going to wrap up game seven. Largest in the NBA. Is it Chase Center, Little Caesars, or United Center? Largest in the NBA. Chase Center, Little Caesars, United. What is in the first two? Uh... Can I buy that? Um, an A. Okay. <laughs> Chase Center, Little Caesars. I'm going to go United. Correct. Bulls, right? That is. Capacity? Uh, 20,917. Okay. That's as much as I thought. Okay. Little Caesars is 20,300. Who plays there? Detroit Pistons. And then Chase Center is the new uh, Golden State Warrior Stadium. That's right. Yeah, it's the brand new one for them. So, all right, good stuff. Good stuff. Five and two. Good. good, That was a good job. You did. You did well. (laughs) Um, So, funny story behind this, uh, before we move on to our next set of pieces, is um, there was two times in the NBA Finals where the games were in the exact same place, basically. (laughs) It was when the Mavs played the Heat the first time when Dirk won in 11, and then when they repeated the next time. No, no, it was 06. When uh yes. when when a uh, D Wade and them came yeah, back D-Wade against the Mavs, Morning Payton, yep. exactly. They played in American, so it's been since like 2000. They both had American Airlines, okay. so it hasn't recently. But it's funny, just think about it because 06 they did it, and in 2011 they also played American Airlines in American Airlines. Right. So American Airlines got a ton of advertising out of that, uh-huh. just branding because of it. It's like, oh, here at American Airlines Arena, here at American Airlines Center, and just back and forth nonstop. Yeah. So. It's a little fun fact for those out there that like it. Southwest has their own arena. You know, with the the amount of business that I can imagine that they get, because that's all we fly. Right. People do. Yeah, I'm surprised they actually haven't got got any naming rights anywhere yet that I know of. I have to look it up. They may may have a small one, but they don't have any in the professional uh, sports that we go to. So, anyway, moving on. Frozen 5 recap. I'm going to give you guys a quick recap on how well we, well, in theory, how well we did. Uh, A little depressing, but wasn't too bad. Finished up the season four and one. So, of course. Good job, Jay. Yes. 
Back to back four weeks for me. It should have been five. And oh, I'm pissed. But I know, I know, no, calm down. Mike, stop. Okay. Thank you. He's been drinking. I appreciate it. He's been drinking. He's excited. But uh, no, uh, well, because Mike helped me a lot with the picks this week. So okay. he was pretty amped about um, what we had lined up. So I'm going to go with my only loser, which was the team that I thought was going to actually disappoint me. But in shocking fashion, they actually showed up was Dallas. I picked the picked Washington to cover the 11 because I just knew Dallas was going to just 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 poop the bed mm. and may and literally lose the 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 NFC East on their own without any help from anybody <laughs> else. I just saw them happening, but they didn't. They actually ended up blowing out Washington and covering the 11 with ease. It was like 37 to like 16 or something like yeah, that. It was, it was terrible. Yeah. They blasted them. They beat them by like 21. But um so that was the only lo- loser. The rest of them, I just knew it was going to happen. I knew the Browns were going to implode, and it was perfect. The Bengals beat up on them 38-28. The Chiefs needed this W so they could have a chance at a bye week, and they got out with a th- 2010-point victory, 31-21. Um, the Saints just obliterated the the Panthers, and I'm trying to figure out why the Panthers went to Will Greer and then back to Kyle Allen when they really believe that they're going to get rid of Cam Newton, and that's all they've got to replace him is those two really bad options. And then the Titans went out there and just secured the bag for themselves to go to the playoffs, especially since Tennessee – I mean, Houston. I knew Houston was not going to play anybody. I felt it in my bones beforehand. They had nothing to play for. Right. They were smart for sitting Watson, smart for sitting Hobson, Hobson, Hopkins, mm-hmm. and sitting whoever else they needed to sit. Um, hell, they set the coach probably too. I think uh, Bill O'Brien set for this game, but the Titans ended up getting that big dub, and and Derrick Henry actually went out there and uh and won the rushing title even after missing a game. You see how he did it? Oh my god, fifty three yard scramble! Just mm-hmm. just that dude's just just a mammoth. He really is. It's he's, it's he's it's unreal how big. I mean, six four two forty. And he looks like he's 6'8", yeah, 300. He runs straight up. He run. He literally he runs like Eric, like Eric Dickerson. Yeah, he gallops, so it doesn't look like he's running very fast, but yep. he is. And if somehow he is. He's like a big-ass horse. That's what he looks like. <laughs> it's the most impressive thing I've ever seen in my life. And I don't I, – I, that was the best recruit that, that I think Nick Saban's ever gotten, mm. is to get a dude that massive. So – we finished. You seen his high school picks before, Derrick Henry? No. Was have, you, he, have you seen those? Yeah, we can look at those. Is he before, super yeah. little? No. He was, he was a man child back yes. then, too? <laughs> like, like unfair. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's standing next to his teammates, and it looks like he's standing next to a little league team. I remember when he, uh, when he, uh, what was it? Uh, standing next to Mark Ingram when they were in yes. college. Yes. I just, <laughs> I was like, wait, this dude's behind him? Like, I mean, I like Mark Ingram and all, but how do you sit, Mark, this guy behind Mark Ingram? So we finished the season at 42 and 43, just under just 500, under just under 500. Um, probably our most depressing season is so far, but you know, it was a tough season for all betters. It was really weird how everything went down. And so we uh, will be prepared better next year. OSG made us some money outside of that in fantasy. So be prepared for his reports next year. We'll have it, um, a dual report out of them. I'm going to work with them on that. So, that is the seven. That is the uh, frozen five of the season, man. I appreciate y'all uh, supporting yep. it and uh, being involved. Woo, buddy. Yep. Oh man. So we went from fifty-eight percent to under fifty percent. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Not again. Not again. We're not gonna let that happen again. So anyway. All right, Jimmy. Uh, it's Black Monday. Yeah, it is. Uh, this is 
honestly, and I don't like to see people lose their jobs most of the time, but <laughs> this is one of the one of the days. This is a very underrated to me sort of holiday in sports. Wow, that the just do that it deserves. I mean, because there's something too. Coaches, you know, getting fired, getting replaced, not getting contract extensions. And that is for that fan base. I mean, obviously, it's happening for a reason, but it provides hope. Because, like, you think about the Dallas Cowboys, for instance. If Jason Garrett ends up not getting a new contract with the Cowboys and, in a sense, is getting fired without getting fired, then that will, you know, sort of infuse more hope into this fan base and into this organization who really hasn't had it the last 10 years. Because, honestly, Cowboys fans were on the money about Jason Garrett four, five, six years ago. Yeah. And they were saying the exact same thing. He's not the right guy. He's not the right fit. You need to move on from him. And Jerry Jones just kept firing him out there year after year after year. So for them and for a lot of fan bases, this is the beginning of hope for the new season. A new coach, you're going to have free agency, you're going to have a good draft pick, obviously because your team sucks. And, you know, teams in the NFL, they turn around very quickly. Yeah, they did. They do. And um, I, I think I, it, it is kind of funny to me that you, you, you like this as a holiday. I do. I feel bad for a lot of the situations. But this year, this is I, I typically feel bad for a lot of situations. But this is the one year I really don't, kind of like you. It was kind of all justified with all of them, except for one. But most of them were justified. I understood this last one um, that I'm going to mention. But um, I don't feel like it's as justified as the others, but the rest of these were. So, perfect example. I'll go do the list of all the ones. Okay. No, you, let you go ahead. And you can go okay, do the yeah, list yeah, of people. Right, that- I want to start with the Giants. So, Pat Shermer gets his walking papers today. Yep. Uh, coached the Giants team for two seasons. Really bad record the last couple of years. Um, do you feel mm-hmm. like that was justified and – what type of coach do you think will be a good fit for the Giants? So they're nine and twenty-three. Um, underneath Shermer, Shermer all—they also felt the need to keep uh, Gettleman, which I don't get. But I guess the coach that Gettleman's going to get after this is going to have to be able to prepare to utilize uh, uh, Danny Dimes, the Night King. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to have to be prepared to build that. So you're going to need a quarterback coach, someone that can calm them down and really teach them. Um, to be honest, one of the best in my thoughts that could really help them will be Jim Caldwell. Um, he's one of the uh, he's one of the he's done very good with, with certain quarterbacks out there and helping develop. Um, now he didn't build great ones, but he did help with like Joe Flacco and he won the Super Bowl because of that. He was his quarterback coach. Um, he did well with Peyton. Uh, he did well with Matt Stafford, but they were natural talent, so you figured that a lot of them would be able to get it, but. Outside of Caldwell, the one that everyone's sleeping on that I feel like would be the best possible pick for them and another team is Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis took a mediocre Cincinnati Bengals team to the playoffs damn near every year that he was there with a notoriously cheap owner and a quarterback that nobody's going to sign next year mm-hmm. in Andy Dalton. Yeah. But he was able to have 13-3 and three seasons and do all kinds of stuff. Why wouldn't you want a guy that can handle all that mess and malarkey who's great with the media and who just does his, who puts his head down and gets the job done? Marvin Lewis would be a great pick for them. That's, that's very well thought out. I really like that. And I would say, too, you know, if I'm to give hope to, uh, to the Giants fans, it's that usually if a team's had a really hard time choosing the right coach and they have a couple of mistakes in a row like this team has with Ben McAdoo and then with Pat Shermer, yep. usually it's that third coach, that third pick to where they really get it right. You mean, I have to look no further than the 49ers. You start out with uh, the consummate gym coach, as yep. we call him, Jim Tom Sula. <laughs> Who sweats at press conferences. Yeah, yeah, sweats through his oversized suit. And then he was a disaster. Then you bring in Chip Kelly. He was a disaster as well. Then 
after having made those mistakes and learned from them, you bring in Kyle Shanahan, you bring in the right GM. And yes, it's rocky in the beginning, but you know you're building something. You know you're building yeah. the kind of culture that you want. And look at it now, number one seed in the NFC. So I think this next pick, whoever it is, is going to be the right one for this team moving forward. And even for San Francisco to speak on that, the only reason why that first year was rocky is because the quarterback got hurt. So, yes. <laughs> you know what I'm yes. saying? If their quarterback didn't get hurt, they probably would have had a mediocre season, but it was good that it was bad. They brought in this 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 all-American, all-pro defensive end, so now they were able to have an anchor to what their defense is going to do. Uh, but it looks like there's a potential that Matt Rule is going to be the one that takes that Giants coaching job. Okay. Uh, Matt, uh, you know, he's the head coach of Baylor. But remember, he was actually an assistant under Tom Coughlin in 2012 when they won the Super Bowl. So because of that, there's a chance that he may be the one that and, – and also the Jets job was his if he wanted it, and he uh-huh. turned it down to stay in uh, Baylor, smart. which was smart on his part Very smart. Uh, to look for a better job. And here is the opportunity he's going to walk in front of him. he probably knew this was coming. He's like, yeah, I want to coach for a New York franchise, just not Not that one. New York. I'm going to wait one year. Exactly. So yeah. next up, who else we got? I'll say next up um, – well, let's go to one who's already filled their vacancy – the Washington football team who early in the season fired Jay Gruden and it was announced today that they are going to hire former Panthers coach Ron Rivera. Yes. So how do you feel about that hire? I think that was a really good hire. That gives them a defensive-minded coach that understands how to utilize a mobile quarterback. He's going to bring in some really good OCs. He'll bring in his um, some people that can handle the offense for him and he'll focus mainly on the defense and get them better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the um, – the Rivera firing was the one that I felt like was really questionable, but I understood why. He's been there 10 years, and at a certain point, you kind of like, well, we may as well move on to something new. It's time for a, a for real reset, a fresh start, But just because he's been there so long. Um, but bringing him in is, is, is really good because he brings in discipline. He brings in uh, focus. Um, he's known for being that. He's still, in a way, a player's coach, but he is very uh, hes very disciplined, and that's what you need mm-hmm. when you got an organization that's so inept as this one who hasn't been to the playoffs since, like, what, 2003 or six? Something like that, um, yeah. Hasn't, uh, yeah. Just the RG3 year. Exactly. So it, they, they've been brutal, and it's really good to see that they're going to bring in a coach that will be able to instill some mm-hmm. something good for their future. And I think there's something to be said about a coach who's led a team to a Super Bowl, as difficult as that is to do. And I think that when you have a coach like that, you give them eight to ten years, just like Mike McCarthy, who actually won his Super Bowl. You know, you maybe give them a little bit longer than perhaps you should because you know that they have at least been able to lead you to the mountain, even though you weren't able to successfully climb it completely. So I like that about him, and I like stability. You know, whenever I see Ron Rivera, especially in press conferences, he looks like a coach. He looks like a grown-up. He looks like someone who knows how to manage men, who knows how how to manage yeah. a football team. And I don't get that same feel from many coaches, uh, one of which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I really like that about him. And even though he's got to be a bit crazy to be the coach under Dan Snyder, um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I give him hats off for being willing to take that job because I wouldn't go anywhere near that job nope. if I were them. But he's willing to take the chance. He thinks he has something with Dwayne Haskins. You have a, a budding receiver in Terry McLaren. I don't know what you're going to do about your running back position because Peterson is old, even though he still looks pretty good for his age. Darius, you keep him. Yeah, Darius Geis continues to get hurt. Your tight end Jordan Reed is always hurt. I don't know what you have on defense. Vernon Davis keeps coming back and forth. He's not sure what he's going to do with his yeah, life. From the grave, yeah. So they got a lot of work to do, but I think that having this stability at coaching Ron Rivera is how you want to begin that work. And I think it was the smartest thing for them to, to go ahead and wrap up Ron immediately. They they literally didn't even wait. They 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 as soon as they kicked out Bruce Allen as well as um, everybody else, he was leaving and Ron Rivera was, Rivera was flying in. in. Like they walked, we walked right past each other. He's like, "Hey, what are you doing here? Where are you going? I thought that you. I, I don't know what you talk. The security's like, "Sir, you need to keep walking." 
<laughs> Mr. Rivera this way. Right. So, so yeah, it, it was smart for them to go ahead and lock him up early because mm-hmm. somebody else was going to steal it. To be honest, a better job was going to be open for him. Absolutely. So, smart for them right. to do that. Yes. So, next up, we next got up, the Cleveland Browns, 6-10. and 10, uh, A big disappointment this season to a lot of people. They fire head coach Freddie Kitchens after one season. Um, how do you feel about this firing with Freddie Kitchens? So, it was the smartest thing they did. It was mm-hmm. smart that they went ahead and cut out this second – Jim coach, the, 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 the ghost of Jim Tom Sula. Pittsburgh started it. Um, exactly. He did. They got rid of him, which was smart on their part. Um, I was watching, um, I think it was first take. Well, I saw first take across my screen when I was, uh, was walking around my house this morning. And one of the questions that was posed was, um, was it Baker Mayfield's fault that Freddie kitchens got fired? And I looked at it and I laughed. I'm like, okay, so now we need to find a place to place blame, or this is a way to start up, conversation which i think is an absurd um uh question even asked Mm. very ridiculous no it wasn't baker mayfield's fault it was freddie kitchen's fault the issue that 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 they had with their entire team is they had lacked discipline and lacked creativity on offense baker was able to do a lot of good things underneath him initially but that was because there's the element of surprise sophomore slumps are real if you don't change things up and it looked like they were running the same offense they were running the year before when you do that everybody's already got film and guess what people do with film i try to tell people this all the time and no one no one wants to believe me when i say this football is one of the most intelligent intelligent things out there in this world the intelligence behind how they build these defenses and offenses to counter each other it's like speaking like two or three languages it's impressive when you actually sit down and break down the film and understand the movements and stuff so yes once a, a defensive coordinator can figure out what you're going to do they memorize that stuff to a to the beat and they have they are prepared you can't do that stuff and expect to be a head coach in the NFL mm-hmm. especially if you're going to be the play caller if you would have gave up play calling to someone else they're a little bit more innovative to help baker he might have kept his job but he didn't do that and, you know, I wonder, too, with this Browns organization, as bad as they've been over the last two decades, is this chaos just sort of an embedded, fun- an embedded function of being the Cleveland Browns organization? Because I think that the big part, a big part of why he failed as a head coach with the Cleveland Browns is he didn't know how to manage or minimize the chaos that in some ways was ordinarily going to be there. Because you have someone who's very outspoken like Baker Mayfield. He gets things going in the media. You have somebody who's the exact same way like Odell Beckham Jr. And you have someone like Jarvis Landry as well who's, who's known to do those types of things. You have the Miles Garrett incident. He just didn't know how to manage any of that to the level that it wasn't a clear distraction to this football team. And now that he's gone, more and more of these stories are going to start coming out. You already had yep. Jarvis Landry taking shots at him today. Um, yep. So that's you know a huge part of what you pay your coach for, just like you pay your quarterback. You pay them for what they do on the field, yes, but you are also paying them for what they do off the field. So a coach like him who wasn't getting it right on the field and wasn't getting it right off the field has no place in this position, and they did the right thing by moving on. But what I wonder is what kind of coach, too, do they need in order to sort of stabilize this organization, be good on the field, but help the team to navigate through the natural chaos that is embedded in the organization. So this is the second team that I feel like that Marvin Lewis would do a really good job at. Not only would he be staying in Ohio, kind of being across the street from his old team, but he would do something that all coaches need to do. So I was listening to Dominique Foxworth on ESPN, and he made a phenomenal point. He was mentioning he was talking to um, um, I can't think of what defensive lineman it was. I think it may have been Warren Sapp or someone. Uh, no, it was someone else. But what they told him basically was is that. 
you can't have a second-year or first-year quarterback as your captain. You never put that on his chest. You never put that pressure on him because he's still trying to understand the game and fill out the locker room. Mm-hmm. That's what the head coach needs to do. Similar to the way – and the perfect example of that is Jim Har- uh, John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh basically told Lamar Jackson, you don't need to speak up on this stuff. I'm the, I run the team. I'll take all of that. I'm the one in charge of all these interviews. I'm the one that needs to be leading everything for you to get started while you get acclimated in your position. Now, Lamar is a player that players follow just because he is a leader of men, but at the same time, they're not putting the pressure on him to try to control the locker room. That's what John Harbaugh does. That's the problem in Cleveland. They expected Baker Mayfield basically took upon himself to do it because probably because Curdy Kitchens wasn't doing it himself. Mm-hmm. Neither was Hugh Jackson. So when you have incompetence at your leadership position, like for real leadership, and you have these young guys come in and trying to lead people when they're not really ready to do that, they start saying stupid stuff that Baker Mayfield would say. And you've seen that before. You've seen that with other co- quarterbacks go out there and say stuff, and you look at them like, yeah, you're a diva. That's just dumb for you to say that. And it's all, it's all because when you look back – uh, in hindsight, you realize that the coaching staff was the problem. They weren't even running the freaking front office. Mike Tomlin is probably the best in the NFL when it comes to that. He owns that locker room. Mm-hmm. He owns everything. Everything goes through him first. He literally takes all of the heat for his players to a point of him being a player's coach that his players appreciate him and go out there and play hard for him, hence why they almost made the playoffs True. without their quarterback. So, best job. Which job do you think is the best available? Now, I'm going to throw in two more for you because we still haven't heard anything about Dallas with Garrett, and we haven't heard anything about Jacksonville with uh, Doug Marone, which technically we've heard that there's a potential they're both going to be dismissed. Technically, you can't dismiss Jason Garrett because he's already jobless. (laughs) Just keep that in mind, guys. Garrett doesn't have a job right now. His contract ended yesterday. Since his contract's ended, he kind of is just in limbo. But Doug Marone was – there was rumors that he was going to be dismissed. So, out of those five jobs, Giants – well, we'll do four because Washington's already taken. Giants, Browns, Cowboys, and Jags. Which one do you feel like is the best job available? Giants, Browns, Cowboys, Jags. Um, you know, And I'm looking at sort of the, the history of each organization, their players top to bottom – um, I'm going to honestly say the Giants. Okay. Because of their ownership, because of their history, because of the fact that, you know, it takes maybe every four, five, six years they put a team out there that can compete for a Super Bowl. And I do like Daniel Jones. I think he's got a long way to go, but I like him to stabilize that quarterback position. He's got his rookie season underneath him. Saquon Barkley is dynamic. Yes, we have a problem in our receiving core because Evan Ingram, who's really good, is always hurt. Yep. And we have a bunch of small receivers, B and C type guys. And on defense, I don't recognize any of those players since we got rid of Jackrabbit. So we, yeah. got, we got a lot of work to do. But anytime you're <laughs> anytime where you're a coach and you're taking <laughs> on a new position, these are the kind of things – with a new team that just fired their coach that you're going to have to worry about anyway because if things are going well, they wouldn't have fired the coach. I agree. I agree with you. I can deal with that, with the stability of this Giants organization historically. The best job to me is going to be between the Cowboys and the Browns. And I say this for two reasons. One, they're probably two of the most stacked teams as far as talent goes. Uh, Even though the Cowboys' talent isn't as talented as we really think they is. They are, but they – they have the best foundation, I guess you could say, as far as young players, uh, young core, young threesome, etc. And then the Browns, who has a very talented team overall. And once they get Miles Garrett back, because he'll be back at the beginning of next season, he's not going to be suspended all year. He'll be back next season. Mm. Um, you have Baker, who is probably one of the most accurate quarterbacks to ever come out of college football, whenever he actually has good plays called for him to make the magic happen. 
and the lineup of receivers, running game. You got two great running backs. Not good, but great. You got two great ones. Mm-hmm. Like, you literally can run either one of those in the backfield, and they'll both run 4,000 yards. It's going to happen this coming year, uh, next season. So the Browns, those two are the best jobs. It's all about ownership, and the Browns have always been historically really bad at that. And we all know what Dallas is. It's Jerry Jones, and, it, and it's just Jerry Jones. So I feel like those two are, even though as dysfunctional as they are, they're the best jobs that are going to be available. And the, the team that, 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 that the coach that gets that has to have strong discipline abilities. Like he's going to have to be able to walk in there, command respect, and really dictate what the heck's going to happen. If he can do that and force them to listen and, they, and make them listen, mm-hmm. um, both of those jobs will end up being the better ones. Now, I do have one question before we move on as we're okay. running out of time. Why is Matt Patricia still have his job? <laughs> Um, let me see. Let me think about this organization, the Detroit Lions. Um, their quarterback, see Matthew Stafford, hurt his back, was out for the, the remainder of the season. Running back Carryon Johnson's always hurt. Um, maybe it's because he was the defensive coordinator for the Patriots, so he, in some part, knows what it takes to build and coach a championship roster. So they believe that by the third season, they should be able to somewhat make that leap and compete for a playoff spot, which I think is still going to be difficult and nearly impossible to do because the Packers aren't going anywhere. The Vikings aren't going anywhere, even with Kirk Cousins. Yep. And the uh, – who's the other team? In the, uh, the Chicago Bears mm-hmm. coming off having had the best defense in football two seasons ago and an offensive head coach. Uh, they're going to they're gonna figure it out, especially if they get rid of Trubiscuits and get another quarterback. I don't think they're going to do that, but I think that if they do, that could make them even more deadly because they got some guys in that receiving court and in that backfield that can actually play. Um, so it's got to be that, that he's won championships. We know that he, he has coached for a championship-level team, so we believe that he deserves at least one more season. Outside of that, I've got nothing for you because I don't think he deserves any of that at all. Well, and, and yeah, yeah, I, I have no no empathy for him. So that they are the the the, the uh, ownership there says that uh, it's unacceptable the way they perform. They expect to be a a team that competes every year or whatnot. His record while he was there, he started his first season off at six and ten. His second season, he went three and twelve. Now in his three and twelve season, he well three and thirteen. Uh, they did lose. Um, uh, Matt Stafford yes. for most of the year. I get that. That's fine. But he went out there and went six and ten. The coach that they fired before him because they felt like he wasn't good enough. Jim Caldwell went eleven and five his first year there and went to the playoffs. First time that the Lions seen the playoffs in eons. Mm-hmm. He the second season he struggled, but they gave him a chance. Finished the year seven and nine. They went nine and seven back to back. So to me. If you have a coach like that that's winning games, mm-hmm. you probably should keep him around because it seems like your quarterback is actually buying into the system of the setup. Mm-hmm. You just need a front office that can get some talent there. And then you fire him, bring in Matt Patricia. He does really bad for two years, and you say, oh, well, we're going to give him another chance. Now, I do think it's all about the Belichick tree, and they expect him to be as good as Belichick, but mm-hmm. there's zero chance that this dude's going to be able to do anything. Right. Just look at him on the sidelines. So, anyway, let's wrap this bad boy up. Um. Playoffs. Yes. Playoffs were announced, Jimmy, and I'm pretty excited about what these playoffs look like. Mm-hmm. We have uh, the AFC teams that are playing in the wild card. We have the Pat- the Patriots hosting the Titans and the Texans hosting the Bills. And in the NFC, we have the Saints hosting the Vikings and the Eagles hosting the Seahawks. What you think so far? Well, I think that uh, if I'm going to ask myself which team – 
playing in the wild card this weekend has the best chance of making it to their respective conference championships. I think that, surprisingly, the Tennessee Titans do. Ooh. I really believe in this team. Their defense, I believe in Derrick Henry. I believe in the way Tannehill's playing ball. Teams aren't going to have – they're not going to have enough film on him this season, him having started the last five or six games, in order to really figure out what it is they're doing. And I, I, I really love their receiving core. Probably, in terms of young receiving core, second to only the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, yeah. receiving core with Corey Davis, with A.J. Brown, who's just a bona fide stud, oh. and with John U. Smith, the tight end. So they really have something going there. I think this is that team. There's always a team that nobody wants to play, and I think that this is that team because they're going to play tough defense, and they're just going to continue to run at you with Derrick Henry. And with the way that this New England team has played, I think that they're close to – this is close to being the end of the era, which is perfect going into 2020, the end of the second decade of this dynasty. But I think that Tennessee has the best chance out of the AFC to go to the conference championships. And in the NFC, easy, the Saints. I, yes, they've been the most unlucky football team in the playoffs the last two seasons, but I don't think Lightning will strike three times in the same place. I think that they're going to take care of the Vikings at home easily. And from there, as a three seed, they're going to go to the Packers. And I honestly think they're going to take care of the Packers yep. and Lambeau fairly easily and then go to the 49ers and take their chances for another shootout. I'm with you on that. I'm looking at, the I think, the best chance to get through the first round. Shockingly, I think it's the Buffalo Bills. Um, their defense is stout. And I think their defense will do enough to keep their quarterback from losing the game for them. Uh-huh. So, I mean, if you pay attention to the way the Bills play, their play calling literally centers around them trying to find ways for Josh Allen to not lose the game for them. What's the line on this game? Because I, this Buffalo Bills team, they're bigger and tougher than this Tennessee Titans. They team. are. Their defense way yeah. bigger and, and I tougher. Think they have the better record too. Yes. Oh yeah, way better record. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're ten and ten and uh, eleven and five. Something like that. Yes. Uh, yeah, something like that. So I, I got to look and see what their record is. But anyway. That's, yeah, I really like that. Pick. The That's Bills, the Bills. I think they're going to be the ones that are going to be the biggest shocker on the AFC side and on the NFC. As far as a surprising win, I'm going to go with the Seahawks. Mm. For some reason, the Seahawks win better on the road. They <laughs> suck at home. And I think this is the best thing that happened to them, being a wild card team, that right. they will not play at home for the rest <laughs> of the playoffs. And this may actually lead them to the Super Bowl. I'm not even lying to you. Look at the way that they play. They All four of their losses were all at home. Didn't they just lose to the 49ers at home? Yeah, barely. And there that, you that was, go. That was controversial, too. And that was controversial. So, four of their five losses, th- three of their, they lost five games this year, right? Yes. They lost five games. So four yes. of their five losses were at home. The rest were wins on the road. Mm-hmm. They lost one game on the road. So that tells you something about the way that they're built. They're built for the adversity of the road. Okay, so then they beat the Eagles. They, see, the Seahawks are the sixth seed, right? They beat yep. the Eagles. So then they're going to go to the they go to the 49ers, right? They yep. Go to the 49ers, get they get a rematch. Seat. Uh-huh. In San Francisco. And that, to me, that's anybody's game. That's, to me, the 49ers would rather see – I mean, who would they see? New Orleans. Uh, they want to see New Orleans. They'd rather see anybody else but Seattle because Seattle knows them so well. Yeah, it'd they, be their third time seeing each other. Yeah, right. They did beat, they, did beat they New split Orleans. the series season series? Yes, they did. Uh, then that's Yeah. Yeah, because they beat New Orleans already. Nobody's afraid of Kirk Cousins, and the Eagles are just too injured. That's going to come back to haunt them either in this first wild card or in the divisional round. Right. So and, and so I see that's why the Eagles are pro- – I mean, Seahawks are probably the scariest. Now, the Eagles, I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, your boy uh, Carson Wentz. I need to send this over to Chris. I, he, that dude earned his money this year. I sent y'all a stat from Warren Sharp at Sharp's Football uh, he does a whole bunch of analytics and stuff. He's a big numbers guy, especially out of Vegas uh, in betting and stuff. But 
He's an amazing stat, and context is, context is crazy. Carson Wentz is the first quarterback to throw for 4,000 yards without a single wide receiver hitting 500. Along with the way, along the way this season, he lost his wide receiver one, two, and three, his first tight end, his running back one, and running back two. Finished the season with a college football quarterback as his wide receiver number one, who Greg is Ward. Greg Ward, and a 5'6", six, sixth-round running back as his RB1. That's literally the most impressive thing I've ever seen in my life for someone to be able to come over all that adversity and go to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And that was just because their season started off bad. Deshaun Jackson went down. I yeah. mean, Alshon Jeffrey's been in and out. So mm-hmm. has Nelson Aguilar. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it got so bad for him that uh, Josh McCown was going to go out and suit up at wide receiver to go with Greg Ward. <laughs> so they have enough receivers to catch passes. But anyway, outside of that, yeah. I think the Eagles, um, th- their look's just going to run out here. Now, I mean, I know that they're, they're really good at the underdog thing, but they got way too many injuries on both sides of the ball. And I don't, I think they just lost Miles Sanders, didn't they? Yeah, he hurt himself. He's going to be okay to play Sunday, but he's not going to be 100%. Exactly. And so that, to me, I think that that's the straw that's going to break the camel's back on them. It's going to be that one. And I think the Saints, yeah, like you said, they're going to easily beat up on the Vikings. The Vikings just don't do anything when it comes to uh, primetime games. Which they may not even have Dalvin Cook. Yep. And Dalvin Cook has they been up and down. They might not. He's probably going to end up playing a few snaps, get uh-huh. hurt, get pulled, and he's done. Yep. That backup did really well. But Ooh. Kirk Cousins is going to – the problem is, is that the coaching – uh, they're gonna. They're literally gonna call plays to where Kirk Cousins doesn't lose the game for them. And when they get that conservative, the Saints are gonna eat them alive because their defense is really stout and they're gonna get everybody back. Mm-hmm. So, I agree. All right, Jimmy. So, uh, what is your uh, final thoughts? Uh, well, I don't have a final thought. So let me see what I can make up here. Uh, one final thought. I, I guess I'll say I have is uh, shout outs to the Clemson Tigers in the Fiesta Bowl. I know that's something we didn't get to. And in the next show, we're going to do a full breakdown of LSU versus Clemson in the national title game. Or we may do it the Monday after that, since that's when the game is actually going to be played. But uh, Trevor Lawrence, you know, he took a really big shot in this game, which I think the defender got hit with targeting, ejected, etc. But Trevor Lawrence said that that's what woke the team up. That's what woke him up. And I think that that's just yet another intangible thing that leads me to believe that Trevor Lawrence is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL when he finally does declare. Probably, he said he wants to play all four years. I believe him. He's playing for another national championship this year and probably will play for another one in his final two years of college. But you know, that's, that's the Trevor Lawrence that I was trying to tell people about early in the season. And like I said, I think they hit portions of their playbook early in the season because they know they didn't need it in order to beat the teams that were on their schedule. But now you're seeing sort of the true grit and the true grind of what is going to be one of the best college quarterbacks ever and what could easily be one of the best NFL quarterbacks ever. So I'm very excited about this matchup. I don't know who I'm picking yet between LSU and Clemson, but I am not counting out Clemson like a lot of people are because of the impressive showing that LSU had. I'm equally as impressed with the grit that this Clemson Tigers team showed. They've been there before, so don't sleep on them. Will not. It's going to be fun. I'm rooting for the Tigers, so that's all that matters. Um, my final thought is uh, Luka, Luka Doncic out there playing against the Lakers, and he was standing on the sideline, and someone was talking noise to him in Slovenian. He got shocked, like trying to wait, wait, who's saying this crazy stuff to me? And it was none other than Kobe Bryant. Really? <laughs> yes, and so he turned around, dapped him up, and laughed about it, and when they interviewed him, they asked him, he's like, so so what was it that Kobe was saying? He was like, well, what shocked me was is literally someone was talking noise to me in my native tongue. And I trying to figure out who's speaking Slovenian here. It's Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> Shows you how impressive of a human being Kobe Bryant is, mainly yeah. because he learned all his Slovenian from Sasha Vujovic. 
who was another Slovenian player. And you know that yes. Kobe always gravitated to international players. Sasha taught him a whole bunch of cuss words in Slovenian, and he went ahead and <laughs> utilized them against uh, Luca. And Luca was definitely pleased. That is so mamba. So mamba. So, hey. Thank you once again. We appreciate y'all joining us as usual here on the Half a Bird Sports Show. We do this every week. Check us out um, on any podcast indications, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Uh, rate us, review us, give us five stars. If you feel like we don't deserve five, give us five anyway. So thanks to Bob, Mike, and Wendy for doing what they do best. And so for my co-host, Jimmy, he'll actually have a solo show this week, I'm expecting, um, if the holiday doesn't keep him too yeah, busy. Depends on how things go on New Year's Eve. <laughs> exactly. We'll see how things go on New Year's Eve, day and the day after, since, you know, he parties really, really hard. But if not, we'll definitely be back on Monday with our usual show, preparations for the national championship with our analysis and all the crazy stuff. Um, with that, we'll talk to you later this week. Peace. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know it's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.